readers, welcome to Your Bookstore Besties. We're your hosts, Rachel and Becky, best friends who met while working at an indie bookstore. We love chatting about all things books, and we're so happy that you joined today. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Your Bookstore Besties. <laughs> Bexties. <laughs> That's cute, because like you, your thing is Bex, you know? Yeah, <laughs> We're the bookstore besties. I'm Becky. (laughs) I'm Rachel. (laughs) Hi, guys. And this episode, we are discussing the book that we have been talking about for a while called In Order to Live by Yunmi Park. We're really excited to talk about it. It was a, it was a, it was a book. (laughs) I mean, um, we've definitely received mixed um, opinions. We have. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, either way. I hope anyone who decided to read it, you know, is excited that you read it <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> if not, maybe in the future we can take some audience requests, recommendations. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the main thing was like, I remember Becky and I were like, we want to read a book. And then we kind of were leaning towards nonfiction because if people didn't read the book, they could still listen because if it's a nonfiction, it's not like you're spoiling things mm-hmm. kind of. Right, you know? right. Mm-hmm. So we each came up with a list of like three to five books and they were so different from each other <laughs> that Becky and I were like, let's just do this book. Yeah. Um, and I wish I honestly, about. <laughs> I wish that we had been smarter and read like a memoir by a black author in February, but we are not that smart and did not think ahead. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the good news is, next time, um, you know, we'll probably take some audience requests, mm-hmm. maybe do a poll or something, see if anyone has similar. We'll probably give you a choice of books. Yeah, probably. Everyone narrow down a little just bit. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's get into the book. Let's just do generally like i guess the best place to start is yeah. did you like it what did you rate it yeah. you know what were your thoughts i i gave it five stars you know i think we talked before how I, like i have a really hard time rating memoirs like how are you gonna like this book was atrocious like there was a lot of really horrible parts to it that were really hard to read oh we should probably say that we should have a trigger warning yeah so there there's a lot of rape sexual assault mm-hmm. um abuse discussions of suicide in this book so it was definitely not for the faint of heart right right my dad read it so most oh. of my comments um from outside of Instagram or social mm-hmm. media are from my dad and he particularly told my mom not to read it because oh, okay okay yeah understandably so it's sure. especially yeah. reading it as a woman is mm-hmm. is hard um, so yeah. but yeah so you gave it five stars I gave it five stars I liked the I I don't like I liked I enjoyed I don't know I I found it interesting learning about North Korea you know it's kind of one of those like mysterious places that you know we we don't know much about so I thought it was really interesting um and some of the things that I had like heard were confirmed um in in this book so and just like the the a tale of resilience um Mm -hmm. I I really enjoyed that and just like the fact that there are a lot of people who are bad but there are a lot of like really kind people throughout the story that you know small moments of kindness that really uh you know helped young me to you know, to go on and when she wanted to kill herself, basically, because of some of her experiences. So I appreciated mm-hmm. that fact a lot. Yeah, I mean, so for me, I, I enjoyed it. I actually, funny enough, I am i don't feel like I can rate this book. Like, mm-hmm. I have a hard time rating books like this. It's just, 
I, I don't know. I It's hard to put a number to it, but mm-hmm. I did enjoy it. I thought that it was very readable and um, oh, yeah. Yeah. fast paced. Um, yeah. So I read it in, I think, about two days, like two separate mm-hmm. sittings. Um, and I know my dad who had to borrow my copy and he had about six days to read it, read it in four hours. Oh my gosh. So, wow. At least for me, it was a fast read in case it was a terrible book and we still had to read it for the podcast. It, you know, it's good that it's short, but it wasn't yeah, bad. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. So I was kind of dog earing as I was reading mm-hmm. and how I usually discuss books is, oh, here's the parts I really like mm-hmm. um, or that stuck with me. And I know you have some notes. I do, yeah. Why don't we go with yours first? Because mine are just kind of tidbits and stuff um, that I yeah. wanted to talk about. Um, first off, the the prologue made me cry. And I think that the crutch of the book is um, in these two paragraphs. I'm just going to read them. As I began to write this book, I realized that without the whole truth, my life would have no power, no real meaning. With the help of my mother, the memories of our lives in North Korea and China came back to me like scenes from a forgotten nightmare. Some of the images reappeared with a terrible clarity. Others were hazy, scrambled like a deck of cards spilled on the floor. The process of writing has been the process of remembering and of trying to make sense of those memories. Along with writing, reading has helped me to order my world. As soon as I arrived in South Korea and could get my hands on translations of the world's great books, I began devouring them. Later, I was able to read them in English. And as I began to write my own book, I came across a famous line by Joan Didion. End quote. We tell ourselves stories in order to live. End quote. Even though the writer and I came from very different cultures, I feel the truth of those words echoing inside me. I understand that sometimes the only way we can survive on our own memories is to shape them into a story that makes sense out of events that seem inexplicable. Uh, And I really felt like that was like the crutch of, you know, setting us up for the entire story because there are, and and I have seen online um, some people who criticize this book because they're like, you know, how could you remember that kind of thing? And I really think Mm -hmm. that, that the, the stories are true, but she was trying to make sense of them. So there are, there could be some inconsistencies that I've, I've read about from other, other viewers and things like that. Um, but I really think this is a good attempt of trying to understand the trauma that she experienced in her life. So um, I really liked that quote. It really, um, I think sets us up well for the rest of the book. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say like, it's, um it's easy to kind of nitpick and, um, pull apart certain things but if you take it at face value which i did it's just a a story of of survival Mm -hmm. you know yeah so i mean i'm sure that there's some inconsistencies but you also have to think it was a extremely traumatic time she was Mm -hmm. young she's now writing about it um, in a book in a language that's not her first language she's probably partially dissociated from certain um, events Absolutely. so it's yeah there might be a, a memory issue there and I always try to believe the best in people so right, right. maybe maybe she had bad intentions by by misconstruing some things I don't know I'm yeah. not gonna like jump to any conclusions I'm just gonna kind of <laughs> cut yeah, I mean, the flow there we're I just gonna know. we're gonna we're gonna take the story at at face value as written because that's that's the only way that we we know how to basically the story is you know they're north korean and because of the caste system that they're born into which i thought was interesting that there's a caste system within north korea because when you think of communism like the idea of communism is that everybody is pretty equal but they have a 
have this system based on like what you were before, you know, it was North Korea. Like what was your family doing? Did you own land? Like who did you fight for? That kind of thing. And so they were a pretty low caste when she was born. And um, I thought this was interesting. I wrote, this is in chapter six. Uh, Let's see. We had returned to Hyasan after my grandmother's funeral, and before long, my family was rich, at least by our standards. We ate rice three times a day and meat two or three times a month. We had money for medical emergencies, new shoes, and things like shampoo and toothpaste that were beyond the means of ordinary North Koreans. We still didn't have a telephone car or motorbike, but our lives seemed very luxurious to our friends and neighbors. So at this point in the story, we find out that her dad has a... Um, illegal smuggling business where he's smuggling things from China and things from the capital city of Pyongyang to like where they are. And because of that, they've kind of been able to, you know, they can eat meat they, or they can eat their rice um, three times a day. And so they're, they're pretty well off in terms of their neighbors, which I thought was really, really interesting. And then, yeah, so that's my first note, um, basically kind of where the story is starting off. And she does have backstory of like her grandparents and how North Korea came to be. Like, I didn't know that Korea was occupied by Japan for so many years. Like that was news to me. And I thought that was really interesting. Did you know that? Honestly, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a big history person. So I did not, as far as talking about her status and her family amongst her neighbors, it was interesting because at the very end, um, when she's talking on that uh, TV show that she oh, gets yeah. on, she mentions in the book, she's like, yeah, well, I felt like sitting next to these women who were so had it off so much worse than her. She was like, I I almost felt like I shouldn't say anything because mm, yeah. she knew that she, at least before her dad was, you know. Sent to prison. Yep. Yeah. Before her family status sunk so low, they were pretty well off. Even though they were in a, a bad system, uh, they were still at the middle or top of the food chain yeah from from his illegal work that he did about a third of the way through the book she takes this trip that changes her life she goes to pyongyang um the capital of north korea with her dad she spends either month or two months while her dad because her dad is away on business you know doing his illegal activities for about nine months and cheating on his wife (laughs) yeah and cheating on his wife yeah and so she she talks about the capital city and and it's almost like a religious experience to her which i thought was really, really interesting. And um, one of the things I found really, really interesting is I wrote a note. At seven in the morning, there was always a lady knocking on the door at the apartment in Pyongyang calling, get up, time to clean. She was head of the Inmibam or people's unit that included every apartment in our our part of the building. In North Korea, everybody is required to wake up early and spend an hour sweeping and scrubbing the hallways or tending the area outside their house. Communal labor is how we keep up our revolutionary spirit and work together as one people. The regime wants us to be like cells in a single organism where no unit can exist without the others we have to do everything at the same time always so at noon when the radio goes beep everybody stops at lunch there's no getting away from it i just thought that was really interesting that part of the spirit of north korea is everybody has a clean at the exact same time so we you know so we hear uh i'm sure if you're a higher caste you probably aren't but you know when you're lower on the caste you know, that's, that's what you're doing there. And so I just like kind of wrote kind of a timeline of what was going on. So after her trip in 2002, her father is arrested for smuggling and her mother has to leave the girls alone in their small town. And this is a really, really sad part to read. So they're like, you know, two girls that in the middle of winter. That was hard to read. Yeah. Really hard to read. Like starving because her mom's not there. She's, she, I think she's trying to get the dad out of prison as well as do some of his illegal activities so they even have any kind of money. But they almost died. It was, you know, there was some small kindnesses from strangers who would maybe like give them some rice but didn't she like leave them some like 
kind of meager rations and yeah. the girls like basically they squandered it on not understanding. <laughs> yeah, not understanding how bad or how hard it would be basically yeah squandered it on candy and then the next line is like we realized that we messed up and yep. uh now we're starving <laughs> and if it wasn't for their neighbors they probably just like would have died there yeah you know yeah and so this is the moment in their lives when they're basically their entire fortune changes like they're not making the money they used to um they're starving and even when their mom does come come back you know after several months they the girls go and stay with their aunt and uncle like kind of in the country and then the what i thought was really interesting was this kind of like twist on religion and the worship of the kim family is like they have these classes where they have to like publicly confess you know their sins in front of the community be like i'm sorry you know that i did this and people have to like chastise them and i i was like that's really interesting that that's part of you know, part of their their weekly gatherings. And the other thing I found interesting was that they had a, a fertilizer shortage. So they were gathering their poop and they had a quota of poop that they yeah. needed to put out and give to the government for the farming, which I actually know that they, they do this in some parts of China. So like that was, you know, that's something that people do do. So I, I had had heard of that concept before, but still really interesting. And they would have people fighting over poop or stealing your poop in your outhouse so that, you know, they could have more to give to um, the government. But that was really interesting. So basically after that, in 2005, her mom goes into hiding because the government is looking for her. And at the same time, her father is released from prison because he basically like bribes the warden. He's like, I'll give you money, you know, that I'll go get if you let me out. So once dad comes back, mom turns herself to the local police and is basically sentenced to like a month in a labor camp there. So eventually the whole family's together, but the dad basically has some sort of ailment or he, I think you find out that it's stomach stomach cancer or colon cancer, like down the line that he eventually dies from. But so the family's all living together and in like this high rise building, which one, one thing I thought was interesting is because the electricity isn't always on, the higher up you are is actually worse than lower. Like the more coveted mm-hmm. uh, rooms is, is on the bottom floor because you don't have to climb it's the as much. opposite so of what you would think yeah exactly so that was really interesting to see so um as she's there that's she gets her first boyfriend she starts to be a teenager she's like 12 13 she like starts dating this boy which they didn't have a concept of dating <laughs> or at least in this part of the country and so all, everything was so new to her so then her dad is getting really really sick and then she gets really sick and she basically has like these inflamed bowels and she has to go to surgery. The hospitals aren't really equipped to help her. Eventually they do help her. And as she's sitting in there, like her mom is seeing these dead po- bodies piled outside of the hospital. And that's when she's realizing, you know, this this regime that th- her mother is realizing this is regime that she's like committed her life to is like she's starting to see some holes. <laughs> the fact they would just like leave these these dead bodies outside. And so then their family realizes like. She, well, that- hold on one second. Because yeah. I. That that was something that I marked earlier, which is because yeah. it's uh, she talks about how her mom. Let me find the exact part. Basically, her mom. It says this is on page thirty four. So this is pretty mm-hmm. early on. The laws of physics that she had studied in college were overcome by the propaganda that was driven mm. to her all her life. Basically, how she didn't realize how the world wouldn't stop if the supreme leader died. You know, mm-hmm. like she thought that. How can the earth still spin on its axis? She was smart. She studied physics in college, but that just, that propaganda just rewired that that thinking so much that she forgot all of the things she knew to be true and scientific. (laughs) Scientific. Scientific, you know. Scientific. Um, (laughs) 
also a couple 14 pages later they Mm -hmm. talk about um emotional dictatorship it says in north korea it's not enough for the government to control where you go what you learn where you work what you say they need to control you through your emotions making you Mm -hmm. a slave to the state by destroying your individuality and your ability to react to situations based on your own experience of the world so coming from those two quotes it's easy to see like her mother's kind of perspective because it does it does eventually change there Mm -hmm. it starts there but Mm -hmm. beforehand it was like she was completely in it she was completely anyways continue with uh with the timeline basically after she she has the surgery yanmi has the surgery they're like we mom's like we need to leave like if my kids are gonna have any chance we have to go to china they always they can smell the food from the border and they know that the people there are eating and they have smuggled in commercials and she's seen commercials in china so to them like china is like the promised land so they're like if only we can get to china and so the sister decides she's like i'm going tonight the weather is starting to warm and the way you would cross was like over a frozen river and her older sister unmi is like i'm i'm going tonight like you you can't stop me um, and she does. She leaves. And spoiler alert, we don't hear for her from her for seven years. So that's the last they hear of it, of her for seven years. Um, and then Yeonmi and her mom decide to cross. A couple days later, they find a woman who is going to help them cross. And they don't exactly understand what's in store for them in China. They think that there are just like benevolent, ethnically Korean people there who just want to help the North Koreans. And so they cross and their her mother gets raped by the person who's getting them from the other side. And they find out that it's actually a huge human trafficking ring. And at this point in the story, like I know that it says that on the back of the book, but I was just like forgot that that was a part of the story. And I was like, how does she get out of this? <laughs> like I was just yeah. so upset um, from this point on. So there is, you know, in China, they have the one child policy. So you know, if you have a girl, a lot of those girls are either aborted or they're killed or they're left, you know, in the orphanages in China. So there is a real lack of women for all the men that are in China. So they take these North Korean girls and women and they basically wed them illegally to, you know, these Chinese men. Yeonmi and her mom don't know this. So they cross over and realize that they can either go back to North Korea or decide to get sold. And they decide that they, they're too hungry. So they decide that they're going to get sold. And then a lot of horrific back and forth of her mom gets sold several times to several different men. And then she eventually, Yeonmi eventually gets into the hands of a, a Chinese man named Huang Wei. And they have a really interesting relationship because he's trafficking women. Um, and she's 13 at this point, And he basically tells her that he Which tries he doesn't to rape her. know, right? right? He doesn't know she's 13. Um, he thinks I think he's, she's older. Not that that helps, but. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> you know, rape is rape. But so he basically forces her after several, you know, her mom gets sold. And so it's just her with Huang Wei. And he basically says, if you have sex with me, I'll help you find your mom and your dad and your sister. So she does. And um, it's like a really horrific experience for her. And, you know, there's like back and forth. She, you know, is able to call her mom who's sold on a phone. Um, so she's able to stay connected with her mom. She enters into this sort of business relationship with Huang Wei, where she is having sex with him and helping him, you know, get these North Korean girls basically to stay alive and you know she kind of she talks about how she becomes pretty numb at this moment like she's just doing what she can to survive she just wants her mother back she wants to find her sister she wants to find her dad um so she learns like a little bit of chinese to 
kind of translate for these North Korean women. It's after Yeonmi tries to escape, Hongwei hires brokers to find her dad in North Korea. And he finally, they finally find him and he's very, very sick. Like they basically, the doctors say he has like three to six months um, left to live because the cancer has been so aggressive. And sometime, somewhere in that time, they reunite with mom as well. So the three of them are living with this guy, Huang Wei. And she says it's like a really complicated relationship. Like, you know, he kind of loves her, but he's also like having sex with her, even though he was, he claims that he didn't know she was 13 and he wouldn't have but i it seems I mean, like he's, he's clearly a child yeah and he's still having sex with he's her. not a good it, no matter what he does to help her he is not a good person in this right book. right like obviously yes. it's like a weird um, love i don't know love is not even the right word <laughs> but yeah so then her, her father dies and this is where i was just like sobbing when her her father dies um and they keep having to like move to these different apartments because obviously what Huang Wei is doing is illegal. Um, they're trying to tr- China's trying to you know track down the human traffickers, so they're moving around a lot. And Huang Wei is losing money and addicted to gambling, and so they start going hungry. And Yunmi's mother s- says that she would like to be sold again so that Yunmi can eat. So she's her mom is sold again to a country farmer's husband, and uh, Yunmi is like, well, I need to have a real job, so she because she's North Korean, she doesn't have a real ID. So she's trying to find an ID and, you know, someone who can give her a fake ID so that she can have like a legitimate job, like waitress in China, things like that. And she eventually gets kidnapped by like this wealthy Chinese man. Um, but Huang Wei finds her and threatens that. Yeah, that was, th- that was that was a crazy part. That was book, really sure. intense. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what? You're telling by me the there's way, like a weird love triangle? <laughs> the, one of the parts that I marked um, going backward a little bit is um, mm-hmm. after her mom basically says like, sell me for money because we have yeah. no money to eat. And Hong Wei does it. Um, literally, basically they spend so much time looking for a good place. You know, someone who... Yes, they're still buying her, but like, mm-hmm. will they treat her better than other people who will buy yeah, her? Yeah. It's basically, it said, Hongwei agreed with the plan. He had no use for my mother. We went to meet the family. They seemed like kind people. The work wouldn't be too hard. There'd be plenty for her to eat. Uh, family also promised to let her stay in touch with me. So basically, like, for them, best case scenario yeah, of selling right. your own mother. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, so we sold her to them for about $2,850. And then it says Hongwei gambled away all the money as soon as we got uh-huh. to Shangyang. So if, if there was anything um, redeemable of this terrible man, it all went out the window um, right. after he lets, lets her own mother sell herself and then gambles it away immediately when they're starving. Screw that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Screw that dude. So Yeonmi starts working in like this webcam chat room. And I think the original purpose is like, you know, cam girls who take their clothes off. And But she she swears that she never did. And that if they asked for that, she would, you know, stop the stop the chat. I'm not sure if I believe that. But, you know, like I said, I'm going to take it at face value. And she claims that you know, a lot of dudes really enjoyed chatting with her and she was able to make some money off of that. And one of the dudes even helped give her money when they decided that they wanted to escape to Mongolia. So she starts hearing stories of women who are going to Mongolia and then through that they're like sent to South Korea. And so she decides that like her and her mom definitely need to escape. So they find some like Christian pastors who are going to help them. But first they like live in this community and they learn about Christianity 
Um, and then they, it was a really horrifying story of, it's on page 191. They're like confessing sins and praying together. And he says, I looked at him curiously. He turned, this is the pastor. He turned to my mother. Surely there are more sins you can tell us about. We were shocked. My mother and I communicated silently with our eyes. We could only imagine that someone in the other group had told the pastor about our work in the chat rooms. We repented our sins privately with God, my mother said. Do we have to say it in front of everyone? He told us, yes, we have to make a full confession in front of everyone and beg for forgiveness. We started crying, and at that point, he asked everybody else to leave the room. My mother and I told him that we had worked in chat rooms in Shenyang, but we were very sorry. We only did it to survive. We thought God had forgiven us. The pastor shook his head gravely. No, you are sinners, and I cannot allow you to go to Mongolia in a sinful state. You will put all the innocent ones at risk. We begged and begged the pastor, promising him that we would never do such a sinful thing again. We were very sorry, so sorry. Couldn't he forgive us? It's not up to me, he said. You have to pray to God to forgive you. Then my mother said, you're so right. We were too sinful, and if our deep repentance was not enough for God to forgive us, then we don't dare go out with the others and bring them harm. We can only say how sorry we are and ask for mercy. So basically, like after much repenting, they felt like really dirty and disgusting. He finally is like, yeah, you guys can go to the to Mongolia. And I was just like so horrified and disgusted reading this, like that he would do that to them. Like these girls are doing everything they can to survive and to like put them on blast like that. Like nobody wants to do that. I mean, I guess some people do, but like, <laughs> you know, no, just yeah, I hated that part, too. I it, was it's just, just so like upset reading it. at every turn they're being manipulated and mm-hmm. used and it's like even in some small way you know that yeah that was awful <laughs> it's just awful thing after awful thing yeah, in this awful book. yeah so um eventually they cross the desert to mongolia and it's like a really terrifying trip it's it's cold in the desert they're starving they're freezing eventually but they do make it and i i cried at the end because when they finally make it across it says the sun rose behind us casting our long faint shadows across the desert floor as we walked into mongolia mother grabbed my hand and reminded me that it was march 4th my father's birthday and i just wrote a star next to that because i just thought that was just like really beautiful and symbolic of you know the start of their you know better life in south korea so they basically get funneled from mongolia into south korea well that part um th- there's a i'm trying to work in my quotes too as oh, we yeah. go, go there's a passage um i don't know if it's before or after that passage but it's on 205 it says in fact our band of eight north koreans was among the last group sent to mongolia from the mission and it describes the people they met there and how they arrived it says after my mother and i jumped ahead of the queue the people they met were all assigned to a third group that left even later than than we had originally been scheduled to leave from mongolia this turned out to be very lucky for them. Every member of our original team was captured by the Chinese before mm. they reached the border. They were all sent back to North mm. Korea. Yeah. So they're just like basically dodging bullets left and right. And then that that other group gets caught as well. And they are sent to Chinese prison for helping people escape. So, Oh, yeah. Like the pastor. The pastor and yeah. his, his wife. Um but um, they actually have to spend a little bit of time in Mongolia. They can they aren't sent exactly straight to South Korea because there was like some weird diplomatic stuff, and that Mongolia was like sending some people back, and they decide that you know they do send them to South South Korea. So they get on a plane. It's her first time on the plane, um, and they get to South Korea, and they kind of have to be in this like holding cell for defectors where South Korea is making sure that they're not spies because apparently that happens. North Korea sends spies down and making like infiltrating the society and things like that. Then they are sent to a what is it called? Like a they're basically like sent to a place to like learn how to be South Koreans. 
I have on 216, I thought this was really interesting. So basically they, um, she's in this like class and, and, you know, they're trying to teach you how to introduce yourself in, in South Korean society. And she's like, you can say like your name and what your hobby is. Um, I like mark this whole section. Um, when I was yeah, called me on, too, I, actually. I had no idea what a hobby was. When it was explained to me that it was something I did that made me happy, I couldn't conceive of such a thing. My only goal was supposed to be making the regime happy. And why would anyone care what I wanted to be when I grew up? There was no I in North Korea, only we. This whole exercise made me uncomfortable and upset. When the teacher saw this, she said, if that's too hard, then tell us your favorite color. Again, I went blank. In North Korea, we are usually taught to memorize everything. And most of the time, there is only one correct answer to each question. So when the teacher asked for my favorite color, I thought hard to come up with the right answer. I'd never been taught to use the critical thinking part of my brain, the part that makes reasoned judgment about why one thing seems better than another. The teacher told me, this isn't so hard. I'll go first. My favorite color is pink. Now what's yours? Pink, I said, relieved when I was finally given the right answer. In South Korea, I learned to hate the question. What do you think? Who cares what I thought? It took me a long time to start thinking for myself and to understand why my own opinions mattered. But after five years of practicing being free, I know now that my favorite color is spring green and my hobby is reading books and watching documentaries. I'm not copying other people's answers anymore. I thought that was like super interesting uh, and like really beautiful. That was one of my favorite parts. I I marked that exact same part. I also marked a part um, a little further down on that page where she's talking about freedom and she says, I never knew freedom could be such a cruel and difficult thing until now. I had always thought that being free meant being able to wear jeans and watch whatever movies I wanted without worrying about being arrested. Now I realized that I had to think all the time and it was exhausting. There were times when I wondered whether if it wasn't for the constant hunger, I would be better off in North Korea where all my thinking and all my choices were taking care of me. Mm. Um, And this is not like a good comparison by any means. But when I read this, I thought about what people say about Catholic school, which is like, oh, I don't mind going to Catholic school and wearing the uniforms because it takes away the decision for me. Right. Mm, Yeah. So they say, like, when you wake up, you don't have to think about what you what you want to wear. It's, it's laid out for you. So it's like mm-hmm. it takes that that need to think right out of you. And that's a very obviously small scale and not c- comparable to like anything she's talking about. But right. that's just where my mind went. And I was like, in some small way, I, I understand that concept because of sure, that. Sure. Mm-hmm. So basically, Yeonmi and her mother get resettled in a small town and she starts going to school. You know, they're still searching for her sister, but she was like, what do I do? She gets approached by a TV station to go on the TV station and talk about life in North Korea. And, you know, at the end of the show, you could make a plea and be like, hey, this is where I am. Let me find my sister. I'm trying, you know, where are you? And so she starts doing that while she's in school. Um, So then she does really well in school. She wants to be... she starts hearing about the concept of justice and she's like well she studies criminal justice she criminal wants justice, to be yeah. um something to like help people and then while she's there she basically gets gets asked to speak at all these places and she knows that she needs to learn english so she has this like really life-changing um summer in texas and it's the first time she's confronting the biases that she learned about like whenever she was in elementary school in North Korea. They would always use examples of what did they call Americans like Yankee devils and big nosed. Yeah. <laughs> something. Bas- yeah. And so she's like, I'm, you know, these people are just the same as me. They just speak a different language. And actually this is a, a fun note, but the program that she goes to, it's called um, youth with a mission. I was actually going to do one of those <laughs> after I graduated oh high school, I was going to go to Venezuela and do youth with a mission. But the week after the week before I graduated, I got an email saying that, um, they're like, God told us to get out of Venezuela. So 
uh, we're canceling this program. So I was going to do the same program, but in Venezuela. So um, yeah, fun fact about me. Um, so she, yeah, so she does a couple more trips with um, this Christian organization. She goes to Costa Rica and then Atlanta, Georgia, and, you know, starts to see, see the world than, you know, than she ever had. And I really like this quote on page 251. She said, I learned something else that day. We all have our own deserts. They may not be the same as my desert, but we all have to cross them to find a purpose in life and be free. And I thought that was really, really beautiful. So basically the story ends with, they do find her sister seven years later. And she basically is like, I'm going to protect her privacy. She like, you know, her story is her story, but she experienced some really horrific things in China before she came to North Which, Korea. Which, by the way, or, is one of my Korea. main gripes with um with the book, um, yeah. because I, I, I guess you can't really spoil nonfiction, but like mm-hmm. most of the um the anticipation was like, are they ever going to find her sister? Right? Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. You just you just you haven't talked to her seen her in seven Mm -hmm. years you want to know if they find her well halfway through the book there's this selection of pictures now i don't know did you read the paperback edition yeah mine's paperback Mm -hmm. do you is there a group of pictures in the middle of the paperback like high quality photos well the last photo is them reunited and so i'm like okay that's nice i i would have preferred like not to know that yeah, put right it at the then, end of the book. <laughs> because at that part of the book, they're very much like, oh, we think she's dead. Like, where is yeah. she? And then it's like, nope, all these photos. And then it's like, hey, we're reunited in 2015. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that's nice. So you know it's um, coming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I, I did want to say something about um, the only comment, you know, I was getting was from my dad. So he loved the book. He gave it five stars. Um, one of his favorite parts was when she talks about um, not only watching movies like Titanic and being like, oh, this mm. love story would be banned in North Korea. But she talks about um, the the books that she read that, you know, mm-hmm. obviously reading is her hobby, as she just said. Um, but she was reading classics like Catcher in the Rye, Lord of the Flies. But um, her favorite was Animal Farm. And my dad and I both really love George Orwell and Animal Farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he liked um, he liked that part. Basically, she says, it was like finding a diamond in the mountain of sand. I felt as if Orwell knew where I was from and what I had been through. The Animal Farm was really North Korea, and he was describing my life. I saw my family mm-hmm. and the animals, grandmother, father, mother, and me. It was I was one of the new pigs with no ideas, mm. reducing the horror of North Korea into a simple allegory, erase its power over me. It helped set me free. So yeah. that was one of his his favorite parts. Any reactions from from the people? Yeah. Um, my mom really liked the quote on page 247. I had been reading the biographies of American civil rights heroes like Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and others who had sacrificed their safety and even their rights so that others could be free. I was drawn to their stories and by the notion that living a meaningful life requires embracing something bigger than yourself. My mother knew this already. She had always told me that to be happy, you must give to others, no matter how poor you are. And she thought that if she had something to give, it would mean that her own life would have some value. And so my mom just like thought that was really beautiful that even no matter what their circumstances were, like they understood that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have like some like little notes from my mom. She said, in reference to searching for her sister, Unmi, seven years, they never gave up hope. Wow. Uh, and then she yeah. said, the resilience they exhibited is amazing, doing what it takes to survive. Um, yeah. My little brother read the book and he said, I thought it was incredibly eye-opening to see how terrible North Korea actually is. 
And then my friend Melissa read it. She said, what an emotional journey. I've been trying to think of something to help you out, but I don't have anything super cool and interesting. The book did make me try to research North Korean more. I thought her interactions with the American homeless man was especially something to note. I'm so thankful she was reunited with her sister and is able to use her voice. I think I'm still processing the book, which I finished it last night too. So I feel like I'm still processing it as well. Yeah, uh, I, I read it uh, last week. So I'm a little more... Um disconnected from the story now but i know that um if anyone did enjoy the book this uh yanmi park she did interviews i think she was on the joe rogan podcast oh yeah so like i think that she's more of a mainstream figure which obviously opens up for controversy and more discussion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but if we're taking the book at um at like face value like i said i think it was a good a good story to tell um needed to be heard it's very Mm -hmm. interesting though because there's controversy about the book and part of me i'm not a conspiracy theorist but i'm like how much of this is being run by the north korean government (laughs) who are trying to sully her name because they have oh yeah yeah um Mm -hmm. that that is she talks about that in the book but i i think it was a good a good first read i mean i think it maybe is a little you sad but but oh, definitely starting yeah. it off on a sad note but i think these stories stories like this are important um yeah reading outside your worldview is important and yeah those are kind of my thoughts yeah i just i have one more one more comment from my mother-in-law that i was going to read um she said i wanted to say that i didn't enjoy the book because it was a mix of fantasy and fiction about a third of the way into the book i began to see contradictions in the narrative midway through i was astounded by the audacity of the entire book as an autobiography at 13 a country girl with only two years of schooling can learn to speak chinese in just three months and then co-run a human trafficking operation within less than six months and just looking at the photos you can tell that this family were affluent upper class a gross contradiction of her story. I have read many true biographies of people who endured hard lives and circumstances. This book should have more aptly been titled in order to make money. Never been robbed by a book before, but I sure felt like it had been with this. To be fair, my statement is not based on my opinion. It is based on the inaccuracies, contradictions, and historical errors that I listed and cross-referenced from the book itself. The only thing remarkable about this book was that it was so cleverly marketed as a true story so definitely some controversy not everybody loved it the only things i would say like there are a couple parts of the story i was telling rachel before we got on this call like she talks about how she only had sex with the one captor uh and i actually think she probably had sex with more people and just like has blocked it out just because of all the time she says that lots of people tried to rape her so i do think that that was probably blocked out and i think a lot of this you know we talked at the beginning mm-hmm. a lot of her trauma was probably blocked out and maybe maybe a little hazy so i think some of the some of the inconsistencies that my mother-in-law is talking about could be you know part of that that haziness so i don't want to like say that you know yeah i mean to be fair though like does she owe us the the complete her complete right. um inner thoughts feelings her deepest trauma does she owe that to anybody you know i don't think so i i think yeah. that that doesn't make her story less true now the, the <laughs> inaccuracies it is what it is what was it on purpose was it accidental right, uh, right. you know as someone who didn't have a lot of schooling who english isn't her first language mm-hmm. is it just you know a mistake you know what what is it you can kind of think about it until the cows come home but as far as like are there more things that happen that she's not saying almost certainly right um, right that doesn't impact how i how i see her which 
she's telling this story as like, here's what I went through and here's here's the true North Korea that they don't want you to know. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that I think she was successful. Now yeah. yeah. I don't I don't I don't care if it's a money grab. Give her the money. She she's been enough. Let let her let her monetize her her trauma. Yeah. You know, yeah, on definitely. her terms. Uh, I know that she has an, another book coming out. Honestly, part of me is like, good for her. Make, get, get your money. Get that money, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, from where she started to now, you know. Did you have any other comments? Any any other friends who read the book and wanted to say comments? Um, no, mostly mostly talked with my dad about it. Um, yeah, yeah. So those were his his thoughts. But hope everyone enjoyed at least the process of reading together you know yeah yeah. this little uh podcast community that we've kind of created um i think we'll definitely do another one but Mm -hmm. not sure when or what or but we will definitely hold a poll when that happens (laughs) yeah thanks for listening to our long uh, our long recap and yeah we love you guys thank you guys so much for listening have a great rest of your week bye Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at your bookstore besties. Please like, share, and subscribe so more people can listen. Have a beautifully bookish day.